Hello everyone, welcome to another weekly video update. So I want to start today by going through this slide deck provided by JDI Research. Now this slide deck accompanied the Macro Voices podcast where Juliette de Klerk, who is the main author behind JDI Research, was invited. Now she made some very interesting points about disinflation and the whole economic outlook. And she was one of the few analysts really that back in 2022 was able to kind of predict the disinflation that we were going to see and kind of this much more resilient economy and this kind of bull market in stocks that we have seen. So let's begin by understanding basically what caused that um, inflation during the pandemic. And this can be understood quite simply if we look at supply and demand curves, okay? Now, the COVID pandemic, of course, was a shock to both the supply curve, which shifted to the left, okay? There was tighter supply, there was issues with supply chains, businesses were closed. And at the same time, we actually had a demand shock, at least a demand shock in certain areas, okay? Especially in certain areas which were <clears throat> durable goods and commodities, okay? So people were actually um, stockpiling at this point. They were stockpiling both goods at the consumer level and countries were also stockpiling commodities. And of course, this led to a big increase in the equilibrium price. Now, of course, as economies opened up, this changed completely. Okay, suddenly, first of all, we no longer wanted to be stockpiling a bunch of stuff. Okay, suddenly inventories had to come down. They had to normalize. And at the same time, supply was back online. Okay, so these two kind of curves really just reverse back down. And this didn't actually require a huge increase in unemployment or anything like that, okay? And this is what basically Juliet talks about when she's talking about immaculate disinflation, okay? So we saw this reflected, for example, in commodity prices coming down. And then we also saw it reflected in global manufacturing prices, okay? So we see the big COVID spike. And then of course, that quick disinflation once everything has normalized again. Okay, people no longer want to hold a bunch of goods. In fact, if anything, what they want is to go out and spend it in the service economy. Now, with prices coming down from these high levels, of course, two things happen. First of all, we have obviously headline inflation, PC, starting to trend down and contribute to that kind of disinflation narrative. And what's also very interesting is that basically you have service sector really starting to increase its pace and that kind of really supporting the recent narrative behind the such a strong, resilient economy, at least in the US, okay? And this is due to a couple of things, right? So first of all, you actually had businesses really kind of taking advantage of this inflationary trend. Obviously, these businesses were able to raise prices and pass this cost up to the consumer. And of course, when it comes to services, right, they're getting lower input costs, but wages at this point weren't really catching up. So we actually see a big boom to business sector services. Now, of course, eventually we have wages having to catch up with inflation. And this is what we've been seeing recently, right? So this actually in recent months has actually become a bit of an economic sweet spot okay so on the one hand you have inflation expectations as of late trending down okay so we've seen basically prices begin to trend down that disinflation narrative take hold but at the same time you know wages which are kind of lagging a little bit behind in terms of the cycle are still picking up 
So what you're really seeing is an increase in real earnings. Okay. So and that has actually been able to really support demand in the last few months. And that is kind of really behind the strength of the current US economy. Now, of course, this is the fun part of the disinflation, right? So prices, quote unquote, are expected to come down while wages are still coming up. Of course, eventually, if and when prices do start to trend down, we will have to see those wages really adjust downwards. The question is, though, of course, how far down can wages come? And this is basically kind of a very important argument right now in the face of what is what you might call a very structurally tight labor market. OK, so you have a big cohort of the population, which is that boomer generation entering the retiring age, leaving the labor force and really creating what you might call just a, a shortage of labor. Right. So if we actually look at that employment rate, obviously, near historical lows. And in fact, if we look at the prime age labor force participation rate, it is near record highs. OK, so it's not that people don't want to work. In fact, participation is near the highest. It's just the fact that we've really seen that fall in that uh, cohort of you know, people over 55 really entering the entering retirement age and exiting the labor market. So in the face of these structured tight labor markets, how can we expect uh, wages to come down? So again, so basically, this is kind of why we've seen this uh, persistence in wage growth, right? So even though the economy is experiencing disinflation, wages for the moment aren't really coming down, which is contributing to creating an increase in actual demand and purchasing power, which is supporting the economy. And of course, the question is how much this is going to continue, right? So are wages going to catch up? Now, for example, somewhere in Europe, we can see that you know wages, wage gains should begin to trend down in the second half of the year. But they're also lagging the inflation expectations. Now, a very interesting case is the UK, where actually we've seen wages continue to go up in the face of much low inflation expectations. And this is actually quite concerning since it could lead to an inflationary wage price spiral. Okay. Now, is this something that the US could face? Now, with such a tight labor market, it's really going to be kind of difficult to really bring down those wages. And that is, of course, eventually going to lead to stickier inflation. Now, stickier inflation is a possibility in the shorter term. However, at the same time that we are talking about this, we have to look at basically the lagged effects of the monetary tightening. So one of the things that you know has surprised a lot of people is the fact that the housing market hasn't collapsed, okay? And this is in large part due to the fact that the US typically has a leniency towards much longer duration mortgage rates, right? You have the 30-year mortgage rate, and this actually means that the effective rate on outstanding mortgages sharply lags today's mortgage rate, okay? So as we can see, yes, the 30-year mortgage rate is at 6.81%. But the effective interest rate on outstanding mortgages, it's still at about 3.5%. Now, of course, as we can see, this is something that is going to trend up if rates stay at the same. Of course, because the effective interest rate kind of a bit more normalized than the actual interest rate, but ultimately it does follow the trend. So eventually we're going to have this effective interest rate catch up to basically the 30-year mortgage rate. That is going to start to take a toll. Now, on the other hand, credit impulse, of course, is also going to become important. Now, we've had this disconnect 
because of the dynamics that I've explained before of higher uh, wages or higher real wages that you know, we've actually seen higher demand in the face of low credit. So this is going to really start to taper off and we could see a loss of that kind of impulse. And finally, basically, this could all coincide with, you know, this idea that we've been seeing recently of U.S. savings really starting to deplete. OK, so there was a lot of excess savings following the pandemic. And what we've actually seen is a big decrease in these. And you know, depending on how you calculated, you know, excess savings, according to this chart, could run out as soon as September 2023 or maybe around June 2024. OK, so. So we have a confluence of all those factors that moving forward really suggests that, you know, we could really begin to encounter that recession, maybe in 2024 or 2025. And that could really begin to send wages down and really kind of move us from disinflation to right out deflation. The Fed might actually be over tightening at this point, right? So if we actually look at inflation expectations, um, you know, JDI research provides us this chart that shows basically what the rate should be according to what they call the modified Taylor rule. Okay, so the Taylor rule basically is used as an example to set rates. Okay, so what is the equilibrium rate? And if you were to use this Taylor rule, but, you know, apply the inflation expectations, then this would suggest that the Fed is already 75 points too high. Okay, so, so this would actually suggest that the Federal Reserve actually already has to cut, cut rates by about 75 basis points, which is actually in line with the current Fed's projections. And kind of perhaps why we're seeing the market start to price in those rate cuts. So it's basically going to be very interesting to see how these things play out moving forward. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get straight out deflation. Okay, what we could actually get is the worst case scenario, in my opinion, which would be that the persistently strong labor market kind of prevents inflation from coming down and forces the, the Federal Reserve to tighten even more. Okay, which, of course, would set us up for even more pain in the future. So kind of a bit of a recovery in inflation, more tightening, and then eventually that very, very large deflationary bust. Now, with that said, I am talking about disinflation, but remember that I've talked about the fact that we have a structurally strong labor market, basically shortage in labor. Now, this is something that is going to persist throughout the decade. And this is one of the reasons why I'm also very bullish on commodities and in general think that we will see higher levels of inflation overall. Add to this the fact that the transition to, for example, uh, greener sources of energy is really kind of reducing our energy output. And really, you have a very good recipe for higher commodity prices. OK, now this can apply also to gold and silver, which also have the added effect of being able to protect us from kind of a sovereign debt crisis, which is a whole other story, but of course, you know, is now more likely than ever. And so basically, I wanted to go ahead and talk about this chart that we have here. This is the uh, gold to silver ratio. And as we can see, basically, uh, silver right now is very undervalued in terms of gold. And this suggests that we could see a big appreciation in silver. And I've talked about silver before. Recently, I think that now could be a very good time to start to gain some more exposure in silver. And to that extent, oil as well right now is, I think, at a very good point to basically start going long. Okay. If we actually look at the sentiment here, you know, positioning right now is 
you know, kind of at the lows that we saw back in 2020. So looking at this chart, we can actually see that positioning is very near the lows. Okay. So sentiment right now in crude oil is very, very negative. And this is kind of the level that we would expect to see near the lows. Okay. So for example, we saw that here and here. Okay. So again, I think that even though in the shorter time frame we are expecting the effects of the Fed's policy to kind of lead the U.S. economy into a recession, in the longer time frame, the outlook is that we are going to get higher than average inflation, and something like commodities and gold can stand up to that. Now, that's not to say that I don't like something like the Nasdaq stocks and especially the large caps, and this is a whole other story. But of course. With the advent of AI, you know, I would expect these companies to really benefit in the future. But overall, right now, I'm looking at really gaining some exposure in these commodities. Now, let's wrap up this video by having a look at our main charts and what our outlook is. Now, as you know, kind of in line with the macro that I've just laid out and that disinflationary a thesis, which I expect, you know, it's still going to continue for a little bit. I am still expecting the S&P to reach higher highs. In fact, you know, my main uh, argument is that maybe over the course of the next few months, we can still hit all-time highs. And that would be before we get, of course, that um, deflationary bust that, I, that I'm looking for. So to that extent, you know, if we look at our Elliott wave count, we can see that, you know, first of all, if we zoom out a little bit, just for those that you know might have not seen this before, it's important to point out that basically, you know, we are basically forming this five-wave structure from those bottom, from that bottom that we reach here, that COVID bottom. Okay, now it's interesting to see that, of course, our wave four, which landed us here, or at least that's the main count so far. Uh, basically hit that 61.8% retracement uh, very well, yeah. So as we know, key Fibonacci level and always great to see those levels be respected. And then from then we've begun this rally, right? Which so far I'm counting as a one, two. Okay, so larger degree one, two. And we can see a five-wave structure inside this wave three. Now, a few weeks ago, I was talking about the idea that this smaller degree wave four could take us a bit further down. Now, this doesn't seem to be the case so far. Okay, so arguably this wave four could have already finished. And my primary expectation right now is that we're going to continue into the top of our wave five to complete our wave three. And that should actually take us perhaps, you know, quite near the recent highs. Okay, so even you know, kind of like a double top scenario, I think, um, before a larger pullback in a larger degree wave four. Okay, so first of all, of course, our target for our wave three, based on the theory of extensions, uh, is about, I believe, that $4,700 area. Yeah, so if we look at measuring that wave one from the bottom of our wave two, the 1.61 extension actually takes us to 4,900, and the 1.2 extension takes us to um, to 4,600. Okay, so this is kind of the target range, and this is also kind of, you know, inside this kind of ascending channel, kind of, I think this is the way the rally would end, which would be maybe kind of 
continue up here, maybe give us a kind of a breakout from the channel, kind of a fake out, let's say, and then, you know, kind of return back to the channel and even go back to retesting the lows of the channel. Okay, so that is the target we have. Now we can also, for example, uh, do the same, you know, with the smaller degree structure. If we measure, for example, this smaller degree wave one and measure from the bottom of this wave two, and we can see that we actually get a similar uh, outlook. Yeah? If we look at the 1.618 extension at 4,700, that's basically where it's pointing us at. Interesting to see that wave three was almost basically exactly the same length as wave one. So again, that would suggest that we could likely uh, find the final top around 4,700. And let's see now in terms of momentum. Now, if we look at the daily chart, it is worth mentioning that uh, we are still getting, basically, we could point to the fact that this is kind of a pretty clear divergence, okay? So the RSI did top here, and we haven't actually managed to uh, surpass that in terms of the RSI, which has continued to trend down. Well, yes, the S&P did make a marginally higher high, okay? Now we did come back, and again, there is still the possibility of this being a small degree kind of ABC here, so ABC, um, kind of this overarching, um, sorry, overlapping, uh, so, sorry, overshooting wave B, uh, so that we could actually come down a little bit more in this wave four. Um, yeah, this would look better, but so far, you know, momentum is to the upside. I mean, the dips are getting bought, and this is kind of what I'm expecting to continue seeing, okay? And, what I'd like to see basically is on the weekly uh, to continue building these high highs in the wave five, but you know, build a larger kind of divergence in the RSI on the weekly. And again, this is kind of to do with the dynamics of this uh, wave five, right? Where the wave five really gives us a higher high in the price, but we really start to see momentum kind of turn down significantly. And that would really signal the beginning of our wave four, okay? Now, if we look at the something like the visible range volume profile, we can see there that support is provided pretty much here at 4,100. Okay, we have a lot of support coming in there in terms of volume. And below that, around here, 3,900, and also that's where the 200-week moving averages, or sorry, the 200-day moving averages. But uh, yeah, this 4,100 area, definitely a uh, first area of support, uh, or rather, main area of support, first area of support would be that 50 day. So in fact, one outlet would be that, um, you know, we come down here to the 50 day sooner, right? To complete this wave four, then rally up to the wave five and then come back down and then probably test this 4,100 area, which again, by then might also pretty much coincide with our 200 day moving average. So that's the SPX. And now let's move on to the NDX. And now with the NDX, uh, similar yet a more bullish structure and we can see that we're also basically completing this five wave structure and also you know within that we have very clear here uh you know we could call this a bull flag that we formed here and now basically this recent rally was also a, a bull flag yeah so we created this kind of a bull flag and we broke out and we're just ready to continue uh trending upwards now in a similar way could this be an abc yes However, the recent action uh, did look quite impulsive, okay? So you know, it kind of makes me a bit skeptical given how high this B wave went and how, um, how the action was kind of impulsive. But in the similar way, 
we still have basically that divergence clearly building there with the RSI really failing to make higher highs. And in any case, um, our objective right now is that we will get that wave three, which will take us somewhere to basically 15,535 is the 1.618 extension. The two extension has us here. So this would be our target box basically in here and also pretty much well within the confines of this channel for our wave three. I remember though that this still take us down afterwards in that wave four. Remember wave four is when basically, you know, you have basically people starting to take profits. Normally this takes a while, yeah. So it's not a it's not a you know straight line down, you know, it's kind of a consolidation pattern. And that is basically what I would expect to see. Uh, another three, four, and of course, eventually we would land a little bit higher. So kind of in a similar way, basically looking for almost a double top. And, you know, this is a natural point of um, resistance. Of course, you know, this was the previous top. And you'd expect that once we get near there, you might have a lot of people uh, coming in shorting. So you'd really need a kind of reset of the technical levels to kind of really start picking up and being able to break through that. Yeah, I wouldn't expect us to break to the new all-time highs, you know, so directly. But again, we will see, not my current outlook. But overall, still quite bullish to that extent over the next um, over the next few months. Again, time-wise, is always harder to say, but uh, you know, I think the next few months are still going to accompany us in terms of the fundamentals. And now what's interesting is that, you know, the... The, the NDX here, the NASDAQ, would have significantly further to go, yeah, if we were to, say, retrace in a way four. And we actually don't have a lot of support in terms of volume because of you know, how quickly we've come up. The main volume support comes down here. It's uh, 12,000. Now, this would be a pretty, uh, you know, large wave four. I don't think we'll get that. I mean, really, in terms of Fibonacci levels, it has us coming down to about 40,000. But really... Uh, it's hard to say, and again, not a lot of support in terms of volume in this area. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. Now, moving on to Bitcoin, basically, again, kind of, you know, after this recent pump, really kind of getting in line with, um, with the Nasdaq and the SPX, and basically, in the same way, my current count uh, has us basically in a way five. Yeah, a wave five, which in a similar way should take us up to, you know, kind of near those all-time highs here, maybe around um, 44,000, okay? But, you know, my primary expectation is that after that, we would get that pre-halving uh, sell-off and, of course, that taking us down to maybe back to 20K again. Look at that. You know, we definitely have a lot of uh, support there in terms of volume. And this is also, you know, around the key uh, support areas. But wave two, remember that it, it can retrace significantly more. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise us to see a wave two reach down into that 20K area. And again, just imagine, you know, I mean, it's really kind of what you'd expect. You now, just as everyone becomes super bullish up here, saying the new all-time highs are coming, you know, you'd expect the market to just really shake us, shake us out, you know, send us back here. And then once again, just as everyone is calling for, you know, new lows, then that's when, bam, we get that 
the halving rally. So again, Bitcoin looking very interesting there. Now, I want to point out one of our best performing, uh, well, our, I think the best performing coin we've had in our portfolio, and that is Ocean. Yeah, Ocean, uh, as you know, very bullish on Ocean. I did that report on the marketplace talking about it. And we've seen this come up uh, quite a lot in the recent days, about 16%, I believe. So we bought some here at around 23 cents and then here 29 and now basically trying to break up from 40 cents. Okay, so quite um, quite bullish in that regard. I mean, our structures we can see is that we are in a one, two. Uh, so this wave two now looks like it basically could be completed. Okay, especially given the fact that we basically uh, tap that 50% retracement and it looks like we could now be uh, on the way back to new highs. Okay, so again, um, you know, good time to, so, you know, the altcoins really have suffered a lot and I think sentiment on altcoins really is uh, quite bad, but, you know, I still think that, you know, the good altcoins are going to to go higher, um, you know, even with the US uh, chasing crypto out, you know, I think that as I pointed out before, places like Hong Kong are really setting up as crypto hubs. And I do think that we will get some, and I do think that that will really help us, you know, kind of take crypto to the next level. So still bullish on that. Now, meanwhile, one of our worst performing altcoins has been Phantom. And Phantom has really uh, just come down way too far. I mean, if we look at this structure here, um, I mean, it can no longer really be considered a wave four uh, because of that, uh, because, you know, we went over that wave one. Uh, I mean, it could still be a, a kind of a diagonal. It looks very messy though, and momentum is really not in our favor. I mean, at this point, I would basically, you know, say, look at this box down here. I mean, this was always where we thought we would land before. And this is probably, I think, where we could go Think we phantom could sell off into that area before we really begin to take off okay so really if we look at that 50 percent retracement area at about um seven cents yeah seven nine cents um that's really where we should land okay so basically with the idea that this was more of an a b c completing up here and what we have now is the makings of a wave five so with an A, B, and an impulsive C wave down here. So new lows and phantom quite likely, I would say. Um, again, this would be like a one, not A, B, C down here. So again, phantom and a lot of the other outcoins, I will say, uh, do look more ready. Yeah, they do look a lot more ready to come down. So definitely watch out for those. And I mean, this would make a lot of sense in terms of, you know, Bitcoin kind of retesting its lows in that big sell before the halving and a lot of the altcoins actually making newer lows. So let's talk a little bit about commodities now. And of course, we have our USO charts. And, you know, this has been an interesting one. It's really um, it's really been trading kind of in a range here uh, after reaching that 50% retracement, which kind of showed us that you know, maybe the low was in. Uh, I'm really skeptical right now, even though I did enter that trade in in XLE. 
in the oil producers. Uh, really, this consolidation, I mean, at, at this point, it's hard to say. I mean, we did break above this uh, descending channel, which is great. If we look at the daily, we're above the 50, but still below the 200. Then moving average is still basically too early to say. I mean, even if this was an impulsive, even if this could become an impulsive move, you know, it doesn't look like it yet. And basically, it's not a good setup to enter, I think, because it's just very, very unclear. Okay, so this this could easily just uh, take us further down in that ABC, as I have outlined here, to really uh, basically test out these, these areas. Yeah, the 61, 50%. And again, this would kind of, maybe uh, coincide a bit more with, again, the fundamental analysis, which is that you know, the disinflation narrative is going to continue for the next, again, hard to say, two, three months, maybe, uh, we're still in that good phase, but you know, eventually we will come out of that and either enter, well, either, you know, at that point, we'll either get a renewed uh, fear of inflation or we'll get a much larger deflationary bust again, even after that bust, though, uh, I would expect inflation to come back uh, with a vengeance again, you know, given the uh, things I mentioned before, the structurally tight labor market. And, you know, especially when it comes to something like oil and energy, uh, also very basically structurally low supply. Yeah. So if we look at oil reserves and that kind of stuff, spare capacity, you know, likely running out towards the end of the year. So, Again, even if you know somehow this became a lot more bearish, okay, yes, we could even go down to forty six, okay. But overall, you know, again, this is still basically this is the area to accumulate for the long term. And natural gas, of course, has also been one of the big winners in recent days. But you know, it is now reaching a very important level of resistance, and we can see how it began to turn right there. Yeah, just at. Whoop, depending on where you put this VPVR, um, uh, sorry, the visible range volume profile at about 2.7 here, yeah, so not quite being able to break above three, yeah, and, you know, momentum now on the side of the bulls, so as long as we can hold above this 50-day uh, moving average, I do think that natural gas could head a lot higher in the coming days, yeah. Again, if we look at, you know, something like the weekly, we can see that we did begin to get some uh, some real kind of divergences here as the RSI really started to bottom out. Um, you know, back here, and really getting into that oversold territory. So really now, I think we have some room to run, especially once we break above uh, $3, basically, we have a lot of room to run you know, pretty quickly up to 4 even $5 and really challenge this area up here. Copper, of course, also a trade that I've been very interested in. And again, um, you know, we entered this trade a little bit early and basically now it looks like, uh, you know, we came back down in this ABC. So this, you know, within this one too, this looks like it still has the potential to be a one, two, three, four, five. Again, copper to me looking uh, kind of good also fundamentally with that kind of possibility of more with the possibility of more stimulus coming in from China and but really we need to hold this low now again we've really 
done well to go back to the 61.8% retracement and the 200-day moving average. And, you know, I've mentioned that that was the place to add. And, you know, I think this is, so this is a good trade, yeah, because we have a lot of support here. And of course we have support here at the bottom of the wedge. And my expectation is that basically we're gonna basically escape this wedge and, you know, it's a continuation pattern, right? So we go into this wedge and then explode to the upside and that's our wave three. And just to wrap up, I also wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of stocks that, you know, I've written a lot about on Seeking Alpha. Uh, well, I haven't written a lot about the second stock. I've written a lot about Palantir. Uh, I had Victor Durganov come on quite some time ago, uh, make some good bullish arguments for it. I wrote an article and, you know, Palantir has, of course, benefited a lot from the recent AI hype. And for anyone looking to get into this stock, which, again, fundamentally, I think it looks good. I actually recently also had a guest on... Um, who specializes on Palantir. And uh, so that'll be out on Monday or Tuesday. And again, uh, this is a good stock. So for those looking to get in, uh, this is basically the outlook that I have right now. And I think we could get basically that slightly lower low here, uh, maybe test that 50 day moving average. So if you're looking to get in here, I think you know this uh, basically $12 could be a good spot, okay. So that's a 38.2% retracement of this move here, this wave three. So that's basically where I would uh, look to get in. And of course, this would only be uh, wave one. In fact, we'd expect an even probably similar or deeper retracement eventually in wave two. So, you know, uh, I know that it seems like you've missed out on the AI train, but I, I think that you will get some good chances to add. Okay, so no need to hurry on there. And just to wrap up, one that I do think that is setting up very nicely is also SOFI. Yeah, SOFI. Uh, this is the, you know, kind of very popular trade now in terms of the fintech space. And with a very similar chart to Palantir, you know, now we've had a very clear A, B, and looking for that C retracement to take us back to about maybe as low as 7, 7.3 cents. And then that wave five could actually take us all the way up to 15. So almost doubling up really uh, to complete that wave three. So, and this is stuff that fundamentally also has a lot of potential. I will be coming out with a report, you know, during the next week because it, it, has, it has some good, good fundamentals. I mean, the banking sector is obviously a very interesting one and, you know, people are getting tired of the old banks and so far is really doing, doing a lot of things right in that regard. So, is it the Tesla of banks? You know, maybe, maybe. All right, so you know, I'm gonna leave it at that for today, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this update. You know, we covered a lot in terms of the macro and the technicals. So that's it for today and have a good weekend.